0: For the rest of us, it should be no surprise that we should find ourselves in John chapter 1. We have only just begun our walk through the Gospel of John. Someone asked me how long I thought I would be in there, and I took that as they're so excited to stay in there for so long that they wanted me to go for five or six years. I'm sorry to disappoint. It may only be about 18 months, give or take, and I will continue to interrupt myself with, uh, with little sprinklings from the book of Exodus and wherever else um, I traverse around the scriptures as needs arise. Um, and as you want to see that, uh, if some of you are unaware, one of the bulletin inserts there has the sermon schedule so you can look across it. You know, so if you see something you really don't want to learn about, you can just not come to church that Sunday. Mm -hmm. I'm only kidding. Or so I've been told. All right. Book of John. We've got a lot of ground to cover this morning. We're aiming to do verses 6 through 13 in John chapter 1. Christians live in a world that is thoroughly confusing to them. Do you know this feeling when you look out into this world and you see a list of not just events, but of beliefs, intentions, desires, challenges of truth, worldview, and every other thing. Christians live in a world that's thoroughly confusing to them because this world is thoroughly confusing. That is not by some accident of time or some incident, nor is it lost on the Scriptures. In fact, the Scriptures define for us quite clearly why that experience exists. Why it feels like those of us who have come to a knowledge of Christ run into people who do not know Christ, and it feels like from one year to the next, they may switch their entire worldview, their actions, their fealty, their desires. Why it seems they're adrift in an ocean that is unpredictable. The reason it feels that way, my friends, is because they are. And so were we. This world is filled to the brim with people who walk in darkness. This world is filled to the top with people who live in darkness and love it. When light shows up in such a world, people do not like it. In fact, they killed the light of the world. Why? It was not because they had a series of thoughts that said, you know what, we've got a different explanation for how the world works, and we don't want yours. No. They hate the light because their works are evil. They hate the light because their deeds were darkness, And do not, dear Christian, think that we are above such foolishness. I've done this many times in the gathered assembly of churches all over the place. And I want to ask a question of everyone this morning, so I want your attention real quick. How many of you sinned this week? Only half of you. Wow. Some of you should be up here. Let me ask it again. How many of you sinned this week? What hope of you? Thank you. It is not because you promised to do better this week. Because let me go ahead and give away a little bit of the future. You won't. You won't. Sanctification... Fruit of the Christian life is born with patience. Not with a single day of making your mind up to do better. You won't. It takes years. For any of you who grow gardens, okay, another show of hand. How many of you grow gardens each year? Okay. You're all my best friends. I love garden people because you understand something. You have a great deal of investment for something you will not see the outcome of for many months. That is the exact picture that Christ gives us in the parable of the soils to say, what is it that happens when the word of God enters the heart of somebody who is a good soil? What happens? It takes a lot of time for fruit to be born. But they will bear fruit with patience It surely shall come. And so we cannot have this idea that somehow we can just make up our mind to overcome sin. You can't do that. That is the work of God alone. When I say that, I'm expressing the reality that you are not the light that has entered into the world. Christ is. And that distinction must be made because many Christians get it backwards saying, we are the light of the world in the same sense that Christ is the light of the world. No, no, no. We are the light of the world only because Christ is in us. We are the salt of the earth only because Christ has salted us. We are the gospel bearers only because we have been given the gospel, not because we came up with it, not because we discovered it, but because God gave it to us. And When we come to the gospel of John, we are reminded that in order to be the light of the world, one must own and have created the world. It must belong to the one that is the light of the world. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God and his word as we read this passage. We're going to start in verse 1. And because I don't want to give away next week's sermon, we're going to stop at verse 13. Don't look at 14. See, some of you already sinned. Let's read. The word of the Lord. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here's where we pick up. did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but were born of God. Let's give thanks. Our Father, we are grateful for this passage. You have built such truths into it that are tantalizing to the mind and that are evasive to our love. We pray, Father, your spirit, enlighten us and delight us with your word. We thank you that he inspired these words so many years ago. We thank you for John. that He sat down to order such a prologue to his gospel that he saw so important the person of Christ that he wrote the most succinct description of who he is. We are so grateful for this. It has challenged us, and we pray it challenges this morning. We pray in your son's name and for his sake. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> if I was writing the opening to a gospel... I would not even be close to capable of writing something like this. Do you know why? Because I did not walk with Christ. My hands did not handle him. My eyes did not see him. John is writing after decades of walking with Christ, first for three and a half years as a disciple in his late teens, early 20s. And then for decades, walking as a Christian. And towards the end of his life, he sits down and says, there's some people that misunderstand some things. Let me clear them up. Let me clear up where hope sets. Let me clear up where misconceptions have arisen. Let me clear up who is this person that we were walking around with in Israel For he is not a man like everyone else in the sense that he is only a man. He is a man like everyone else in the sense that he is a man, but he is far more than that. When you come to the other Gospels like Matthew and Luke and you see a baby in a manger, it is not natural of us to assert that this is the very person who created the world. It is not natural of us to assert such things. And yet the gospel comes in and says, it must be so. For no one could save the world unless he made it in the first place. And so that is where he starts his gospel out, increasing our minds towards the darkness that was this world before the Lord came in and says, let there be light. Before the word of God went out and commanded nothingness to make everything. Only God can do such a thing. And we live in a society that seeks to explain everything by nothing doing everything. Yes, you heard me right. When you boil it all down, adding time and chance to nothing gives you nothing. This is where Christ comes in and says, all things that were made were made through me. There was nothing that was made apart from me. And if I didn't make it, it was not made. That is not just the stipulation of the book of Genesis, my friends. That is the stipulation of the Scriptures in their entirety, all over the place. Presumes the reality that God created every single thing that you can see. Everything. That the Father created heavens and earth. And that the Son, the Word, eternal, through Him was created all things. That's where he starts off his gospel. And it should befit us to think of the gospel in such eternal terms. It is not that it's just about agreeing with these things. It's about following the Lord, believing the Lord, and entrusting to the Lord those things that we simply are not capable of. And so John starts with that very thing, life and light, and we talked about that a lot last week. And then he just stops for a second and clarifies something about John the Baptist. Now again, if I was writing the opening to the Gospel of John, first of all, you'd all be worse off, and second of all, I wouldn't have included this, because to me it almost seems out of place, doesn't it? All that He's talking about these glorious eternal truths, one of the most complex concepts in all of Christianity And then he stops and says, let me clarify for a second. I'm not talking about John the Baptist. Which means there's some people that were wrong about this. We see that show up in the later parts of the book of Acts, where some people in Ephesus had only been baptized after the preaching of John the Baptist. And then Paul says, well, there was a baptism under repentance for John, but have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Have you actually received the Holy Spirit? And they go, we didn't even know there was Holy Spirit. Such was the first generation of the church. But as the gospel continues to go out, misunderstandings go out with it. John the Baptist was an incredibly interesting figure, and such people tend to have too much attention spent on them. And so John, not John the Baptist, different John, you know, just to clear things up. John, as he is writing this book, says, John the Baptist is not the light. But if you happen to follow him, watch this. He came to bear witness about that light. There was a man. Stop. We are no longer talking about the word of God. We are no longer talking about the incarnate son. One, he uses an entirely brand new term. There came into existence a man. That is not a description of Jesus of Nazareth, and this is why he turns this. I said this last week. In the first five verses, we have a very unique usage of what we translate for was, and it is an eternal past. Was. Here, we have the normal one. There was a man sent from God. Just like we would understand. So now we're talking about a regular human, so we shouldn't be surprised. His name was John. He came as a witness. He was coming to testify about the light. His repentance and his teaching of repentance brought people to prepare themselves for the light. Which means, what is it about John the Baptist's preaching of repentance prepared people? How did he prepare the way for the Lord? Matthew goes to such an extent in his gospel to express the very nature of how John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord. What did he do? Why repentance first? Turn from your evil that you may look at the light. Turn from your evil and turn from focusing on yourself. Turn from those things that glorify you. Admit that your evil works are evil. That you may allow the light to expose them. That is the role of repentance. That is the role of repentance there's not one of you in here not one of anyone standing in any pulpit that is without evil works the reason why we repent is so that the light of Christ may shine on our lives and show us the evil we on our own and we together cannot make good without God we cannot bring life into this world without God He does so through us by exposing what is darkness and bringing what is light. And that light itself is the life of God. The life of God is not a series of good works that you perform. If it is, we've got a false religion like every religion in the world. If it is just a list of do's and don'ts, We're hopeless because, as you've already admitted, all of you sinned this week. I sinned this week. If it is simply a list of do's and don'ts, just law, you're hopeless. You have nothing, no hope, no promise to do better this week. But this is not called the law according to John. What is it called? The gospel. According to John, in the midst of that horrific news, we have the reality, what darkness is in this world, what darkness is in you, what darkness is in me, is exposed by the light of Christ. This is why the church cannot focus on herself. The church cannot focus on this world. The church must be focused on Christ. He must be our delight our, in our mouth, in our thoughts, and before our eyes at all points, lest we unknowingly walk in the dark thinking at light and so he makes great distinction to the greatest man that ever walked the face of the earth outside the kingdom of heaven the greatest man born among women jesus himself said that about john the baptist do you see this? What did Jesus then say? But the one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. How can that be? How can it be that there is no one born of woman greater than John the Baptist? And my friends, that extends to today and includes you and me. There's no one born greater than John the Baptist. Why? He personally got to bear witness about the light of the world himself as a mere man. That is an incredible role to play. And where did that wonderful, faithful success lead him but to execution? Did God spare him that suffering? No, God gifted him that suffering. And so should it be seen by us. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all may believe through him. Believe what? And here we have the central theme of the Gospel of John introduced for the very first time. We see John spell it out in chapter 20, verse 31, and I'll remind you of it all the way through. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus the Christ is the Son of God and that by believing, you may have what? Life in his name. And so it should follow then that if that theme is introduced here, right in the prologue, before he even starts the discussion, It should sit in our minds to expect that this text is going to require of us something. And it's not just knowledge. It's not just that you know these things about Christ. No, it's going to insist that you believe on him for salvation because there's life nowhere else. What light you think you're carrying outside of Christ is no light at all. It's just dim darkness. For the greatest man born among women, look at verse 8, what is described of him. He was not the light. And neither are you. And neither is this church or the church universal. We are not the light. Christ, in this sense, is the light. And if the church bears the light of Christ, then she by extension becomes the light. But only by extension. If you trust upon Christ for salvation, then you bear the light of Christ, but only by extension. You are not the light. Christ is the light, and through us he shines. Which means, Christian, our job is not to remake the truth of Scripture, our job is to be faithful to it, no matter the cost. This is the definition of success for a church. You cannot insist that a church can be focused on itself, where it is going, and what it is doing, and imagine that that church is faithful. That church is not faithful. That church is adulterous. The church must be infatuated not with herself, but with her groom. What kind of bride is only infatuated with herself? What kind of groom would only be infatuated with himself? If Christ, let me scratch that, since Christ is infatuated with his church, my friends, who ought we to be infatuated with? Let us drop the selfishness of the church. Let us not see ourselves as the light. Let us come and see in our faithfulness that we too bear witness about the light. The word in Greek is marturias. Guess what word we get from that? We are martyrs of the light. And if it requires our life, my friends, what does it require to follow Christ? I'll keep reminding us of this. Deny yourself. Take up your cross, yours, not the your cross, and what? Follow him. Where did he go with his cross? to die. This is who we are. Martyrs of the light, witnesses of the light, gifted that, not because of our own righteousness or the good works that we have done or the promise of a good life that we would live, but only because of the grace of God. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone. That is an all encompassing term. That means that there is no person ever made anywhere in the world that is without excuse to follow Christ. Why? Because he is the one who created the world. You can even read the second half of Romans chapter 1 if you want to see the realities of this. He has made clear through the things that he has made who he is, his divine. Nature, His eternal power have been clearly shown through the things that have been made. Why? To make them without excuse. Every person, including you and me, outside of Christ is without excuse. And inside of Christ is without condemnation. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now this is this is breaking of every philosophical understanding. The idea that an eternal present in the past, that God himself, who is with God, can enter into his world, is a mind-blowing, actually breaking aspect about the incarnation of Christ. The fact that the Son of God himself, who created heaven and earth was coming into the world should blow your minds. How is it an eternal God, just, we'll just deal with one dimension, can step into time? How is it that an omnipresent God can step into the three dimensions of height, width, and depth? How is it that he can do this? I've studied theology for decades. That's my response. There is no way we can conceive of this. Don't try. It will just break your mind. The reality is that when God says this is how it works, guess what? The moment we step into eternity, it will become instantly clear to us how that works. Oh, that's easy. That makes sense. But in here, no. The true and eternal light himself, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Shouldn't it then make sense that the world would just go, that makes sense, sure. So the light is here, I recognize him, I recognize him as the creator of the world because he's consistent with everything that has been made, because he's the one who made it all. Wouldn't we expect that to be the reality? Verse 10, he was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. You say, how, how is that possible? How is it that a light can come into a dark world and nobody recognize it? It's an interesting thing, isn't it? If people were seeking after God, what would you expect them to find? Finally, the light is here. No, there's only one way in a dark room not to see the light. It's to do this. And to cover your face so that it does not expose who you are and where you are and what you have done. This is exactly what Jesus says in John chapter 3. I want you to see it even before we get to the rest of verse 10. Turn a couple pages over to John chapter 3. I think some of you have heard John chapter 3, verse 16, before. So we'll start there where it's familiar. If you haven't heard John chapter 3, verse 16, uh, welcome to church for the first time. No, just kidding. John chapter 3, verse 16. Let's go to verse 21, because everyone quotes this out of context, and it's terrible. You must see this in context, because it has an enormous punch. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son... That whoever believes in him, look at that exclusionary language, only the believing ones, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Great line of demarcation right there. But whoever does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Watch this. You want to know what the judgment is? This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because why? Their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light. Otherwise his works would be exposed But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works are not even his. They've been carried out by God. That's the whole context of John 3.16. What would happen if God just came into the world and he had not purchased people and justified them out of the world? if he had not called them specifically and salvifically out of the world, if Christ just shows up to the world and God's not actively saving anyone, what would happen? Every single one of us would stand here and cover our face because we hate the light. Every one of us. From the beginning of being a cute, fat little baby to the end of our lives, where the cuteness has faded away. Every one of us would stand there covering our face because we would rather the shade and comfort of darkness than that our works would be exposed. You say, well, what makes the difference? God has done something to you if you have come to salvation in Christ. God has done something to you that you could not do for yourself. It's to call you from death to life to call you specifically from darkness to light. And yes, is it a harsh reality when salvation shows up into the life of somebody who will be saved? Absolutely. A real harsh reality. It makes us challenge things in our lives that are comfortable. It makes us challenge and admit to sins. It makes us confess. It makes us repent. It makes us to see the light for who he is and to see us for who we are without Him. In a word, my friends, it makes us humble. Why is it that when we come here on Sunday morning, I lead us in confession and repentance? My friends, it is to keep us humble. We need it. And there's not a single one of you who could rightly say that you don't. And we must... Not only here, but daily repent. That is the life of a Christian. Daily repentance and turning back to Christ. Why? Because our hearts and our members constantly turn us away from him. Lest you think you are a Christian who has attained perfection. I have news for you. A Christian who thinks that you are not in need of repentance and confession... Is a Christian either so caught up in their own ignorance about who they are? You say, I couldn't possibly be ignorant about who I am. I pay attention to myself all the time. Yes, that's what I mean. Only Christ can show you who you truly are. Why? He made you. And unless you are looking to him, there will be no finishing of said faith nor completion of said faith. In fact, my friends, if you think you are not in need of repentance and confession, there is no call that you should be assured that you are a Christian at all. And hear that as a stark warning. Christians live lives of repentance and confession. We continually turn back to the author and finisher of our faith because we know that a salvation rested on us for a moment we would look around for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to gorge ourselves. And this is why verse 10 comes up and says, when he came into the world, the world that was made through him, the world did not know him. The world could not even perceive him. Why? Because it was so different than anything they've ever bumped into into the dark. They were fearful of it. And like when you go into a dark cave and hear the scurrying of cockroaches all around you and you flip on a flashlight and they all scurry. Where are the cockroaches in that story? The world didn't know him, and so the world sought to kill him. But, and may I say, when there's turns like this and conjunctions like yet or but or nevertheless, always take notice because you're dealing with a great flip inside the text. Because if the passage ended there, what would be the reality? Christ came into the world Everyone is terrified, desired to follow themselves instead, and so the light just leaves the cave. But what is reality? But. In the midst of a world that hated the light. But. To all who did receive him. And then he clarifies what that means. Who believed on his name. He gave the, term right is not great here. I don't fill my sermons with Greek words that often, but this one's important, exousia. It means authority and power to carry out something. He gave the authority and power to become children of God. Children of darkness becomes children of light. Children of death becomes children of life. Children of the world becomes children of God. That is not a, well, today I guess I'm sort of in the light, and tomorrow I'm sort of in the dark, and today I'm sort of in Christ, and tomorrow I'm sort of in the world. No. It is positional and definitional, and it depends only upon Christ. Those who trust in Him, those who believe on Him, Those who believe on his name. What is his name? Well, we'll find that out in the later passage. That should sit in our minds. To all who did receive him and who believed in his name, he gave the authority and power to become the children of God. You say, become the children of God. We're already born into this world, right? Yes, not that birth. And he defines in verse 13 what he's talking about. These are those who are born not of blood, meaning human parents and ancestry and lineage and genealogy. That's not how people are saved. They are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, meaning human desires, sexual desires and things like this. This is not how this birth happens. Nor of the will of man, the will and desire of a husband. This is not the birth he's talking about. They were born not of all those things. They were born of God. It sets us up to expect that whatever this book is going to require of us, whatever this book is going to speak to us about, it is not going to be something normal and of this world. Nicodemus the context of John 3.16 is Nicodemus, a Pharisee, coming to Jesus at night trying to ask him about this new birth. Christ says you have to be born again, and Nicodemus is like, that doesn't make any sense. How, 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 can, how can that happen? I, I'm bigger than my mom. It doesn't work like that. How could I be born again like that? He says, no, 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 no. How are you a teacher in Israel and you don't know this? How are you a teacher in Israel and you don't know that we are so given to the dark that we do not even want the light? How are you a teacher in Israel and you don't know this? Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. This is not, my friends, a membership country club thing. This is not a list of do's and don'ts. If it were, you have no hope. None. This is the light of the world stepping into this dark world and saying, believe on him, walk in the light, be children of the light. My friends, let me speak to you for just a moment as one of the experiences of walking in the light. Sometimes, as you all admitted at the beginning of this, you will participate in acts of the dark. What is a Christian to do? Lose their hope in Christ? No. You are to repent and come back to a gracious God who is one, not surprised that you are made of dust, and two, is gracious more than you could possibly imagine. Repent and come to Christ. The command is the same at the beginning of salvation as it is every day of salvation. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Repent not to your own destruction. Do not carry around pridefully. Do not take advantage of the grace of God saying, well, I'm in there, I have no condemnation therefore I have no need of repentance. Foolish are you to think that you can continue on in sin, that grace may abound. That is not the gospel's message. The gospel's message is, do not treat the grace of God as a license to sin. But please, Christian, take advantage of the grace of God and repent. There is a clean heart waiting. There is the joy of your salvation sitting in the shadows. Come to the light. Leave behind that darkness. Leave behind your pride and your lust and your greed, and your envy. Leave behind those things that destroy others. Leave behind those things that would destroy everything. And follow Christ, not so that you may save yourself, but because he has saved you. Walk in the light, my friends, as he is in the light. And you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Will all things go away in this life? We live in a dark world, and we only see dimly. Do not think that your sins take away from you your salvation. They do not. They don't have that power. Don't forget the one who saved you. Yet do not love your sins. Do not give way. Do not give them quarter for they will knock you off of your feet in ways you cannot imagine. This is why the New Testament is not overflowing with lists of do's and don'ts. It is overflowing with the reality that Christians live with the Holy Spirit inside of them, bringing forth the works of the light. You cannot take credit for them. My friends, when I came to salvation... What did I have to offer? Not one good thing did I have to offer. Do you really think that story has changed? To this day, one of my most common prayers is, I approach you with nothing in my hands again. Still nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross we cling. Naked we come for dress and helpless cry out for grace. Why? It is not so that our great repentance can atone for our sins. No. It is because we have nothing to do with salvation. It is Christ who saves us. It is Christ who grows us. It is the Spirit of God who causes us to walk in a manner unconsistent with that of this world, which means our very works we cannot take credit for. Remember the end of that section in John 3, verse 21. What does he say? Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may clearly be seen that his works have been carried out by God. Those things are with us because of this. How is it that the book of Ephesians writes it? Another writer of the New Testament. What does he say? It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that whole thing, grace through faith, is not of yourselves. Otherwise, someone could boast. Nobody now can boast. And verse 10 is almost always left off the quotings. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God himself has ordained beforehand that we should walk in them. We still bring nothing to God. The cross. We still bring no light to the party. We still repent and follow Christ. I don't care if you have been a Christian for 89 years. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today, tomorrow, and until you see Him face to face. That is what it is like to be born of God. May we walk in that light, my friends. May no pride shine on us. May only service to our King be our delight. Let's go serve Him. Let's pray. Our Father, what is in us is of you. What things are in our members is of us. Those things that easily entangle, those sins which make us forget the delight of salvation. Father, we do pray that you continually delight our hearts with those truths of your word, that we may walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not because we found the gumption within us, but because you have put in us those desires to walk according to your word. May we never forget to love mercy and to seek justice and to walk humbly with our God. It is you who have given us the authority and power to become your children. You have given us new names that cannot be rescinded. Teach us, Father, to walk in accordance with this, to keep in step with your Spirit. May we not seek to establish our own righteousness, but affix our gaze upon Christ as your Spirit works in us, works that we cannot do. We know, Father, as your word says, what began by the Spirit must continue by the Spirit. And so we declare our dependency on you at all points even this day in your son's name. Amen.